How you? How you doing? It's Wednesday, the 1st of November, 2023. I'm Richie Allen, live from Salford. And I've got uh, Gerardo Colmón coming on the programme a bit later on. Irish guy, living in Paris, and a very, very good journalist indeed. Lots to talk about on today's programme. Thank you, as always, for finding me. He says, nothing is working today. <laughs> I'll try it again. Thanks for finding me. Uncensored. Unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. That's more like it. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, so I mentioned Gerard will be on the show. You can talk to me during the program. Download the Richie Allen Show app. Send an instant message to the studio. Failing that, use the website richieallen.co.uk. Comment live, chat away amongst yourselves, but do have a chat with me this Wednesday. I'm looking forward to the program. Quite a few things we can talk about before Gerard joins us. Again, I'm sure you'll have your thoughts too then. So will you be affected by Storm Kiron this evening? It's supposed to get pretty horrible in the south of the country. Warms, warning even of violent winds as Storm Kiron looms. Some people have been given sandbags to protect their properties. Have you been reading about that in England and in the Channel Islands preparing for disruption? 95 mile per hour winds. Uh, damage to buildings possible. And there's a major incident declared in Hampshire. 27 flood warnings in place across England. Do I need to tell you what it is being blamed on? What it is being blamed on? (laughs) It has been a long day. I'm trying to teach myself to open my mouth wider when I speak towards the end of the day. We do that thing, human beings. Towards the end of the day, we turn our mouths kind of closed and we talk a little bit like this anyway. Some mad stuff happening today. You know the COVID inquiry. And all of that old shite. Boris Johnson is alleged to have asked back in very early 2020 <laughs> if COVID could be cured well by blowing a hairdryer up your nose. Donald Trump, eat your heart out. Trump said bleach, didn't he? Drinking bleach. I'm not sure he exactly said that, but something along those lines. <laughs> if COVID could be cured by blowing a hairdryer up your nose, if only, if only, Bojo. You fat gelatinous ghoul. Anyway, um, this this really worried me. I say this tongue firmly in cheek. As somebody who has had his dealings with the police in the last uh, 10 months or so, artificial intelligence is working 1 million hours a year for UK police. And that's according to LBC Radio. Take everything you get from the legacy media with a pinch of salt, obviously. I'm not telling you to believe it. But a million hours a year already for the police. No wonder they don't do anything. Uh, Funnily enough, AI is Collins Dictionary Word of the Year. Artificial intelligence, AI is the Dictionary Word of the Year. Uh, There's a new word. I mentioned this on the Papers podcast earlier. And that is debanking, thanks to Nigel Farage and Coots Bank. Uh, Debanking is going to be in the dictionary without a hyphen. So it's D-E-banking. And that's because Coots cancelled his account, didn't they? Because his views didn't align with their values, apparently. 
And it was announced today that old jog ears will attend COP28, the climate change conference, the next one, COP28. Yeah, he'll be there. I suppose you can expect climate change measures to accelerate after that particular conference, or at least more draconian proposals in any case about the meat and all of that. If you heard the papers podcast earlier on, a proposal has emerged, I think from Durham University, why I man, I think Durham anyway, they're saying that they could place upon meat products health warnings similar to those placed on tobacco products. How would that work? Don't ask me. Presumably it will tell you. It might show you on, like on the cigarette packages, they'll show you a rotting brain or some lungs as it look pretty charred, right? They'll do that. It doesn't stop any smokers. It's hilarious. Smokers couldn't give a shit. Couldn't care less. Off they go and buy their 20... Lambert and Butler anyway. I was trying to think of a brand really quickly off the top of my head there. So if they place photographs of, I don't know, babies drowning in the South Pacific... Because of all the CO2 we've created up here, us bastards. So photographs of babies frantically trying to tread water in the South Pacific or in Africa somewhere. And then maybe people wouldn't eat that burger, you see. Because eating meat will will, will ultimately destroy the planet. I'm not making any of this up, of course, you know. Unbelievable. Uh, the absolute cheek of the police to arrest the bloke in London. I think in London, correct me if I'm wrong. I've been bombarded with stories today. This is a white dude, I think. Maybe not, I don't know. And he's a bit fed up because Palestinian flags are popping up all over his neighbourhood. And I think he made a video and he blamed it on uncontrolled immigration. The absolute cheek of the police to arrest him. This guy was arrested. It's been documented. It's been videoed. Free speech? Not on your life, mate. Not on your life. Doesn't exist. Forget about it. And We've got to do that thing. We don't virtue signal. We mean it when we say... We stick up for the people we don't agree with. Now, what do you mean you don't agree with them, Richie? Well, look, I might get annoyed if Palestinian flags started popping up all over my neighbourhood. But look, freedom of speech, freedom of expression, right? It works for everybody, or it should do. So they have a right to put flags up if they choose. Maybe not on public, publicly owned property, maybe. Maybe they don't. But if it's on their own cars, if it's outside their own windows, well, you've got to suck it up, pal. But equally, he should be allowed to say what it is he feels about it, shouldn't he? Of course he should. Because he is no less legitimate a human being uh, to those that are doing the flag hoisting and all of that. It is sinister. Mad stuff, you know. I can't think of a more appropriate term than totalitarianism. Things are not great in Gaza. We'll talk a bit more about that a little bit later on. Ukraine, Russia has been dropped by the media like you drop a series on Netflix halfway through season one. You know, you've done that. Season season one of something on Netflix, somebody said it's good. You watch it, three episodes in, it's a load of bollocks. You switch it off. That is the media approach to Ukraine, Russia. It cannot be arsed talking about it anymore. Uh, the BBC reported this afternoon is that an investigation into toxic culture in the RAF's Red Arrows display team has found predatory behaviour towards women was widespread and normalised. Is, is there anybody, is there any bloke in the country who's not, who's not misogynistic and who doesn't uh, in, 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 indulge in predatory behaviour? I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. The Red Arrows, who I thought were pretty fantastic with the old aerobatic manoeuvres. I have seen them once before. It's very, very, very clever 
what they do in their little red planes. Fantastic. But uh, no, they're just a bunch of misogynistic bastards. That was a fantastic loop to loop. What an example of aerobatic. No, no, he's a misogynistic prick, that fella. We got to get him out of that plane and get a woman in there. I won't be going to any show with any woman flying the plane. Jim Davidson once said. <laughs> Jim Davidson. <laughs> you know the comedian Jim Davidson? There's a lovely woman called Anne. And um, she's a pilot. <clears throat> and she's fantastic. She's uh, been in touch with me over the years about the programme. And she knows about a time when Jim Davidson was flying in a Boeing plane. He was going somewhere, obviously. You don't get into a plane unless you're going somewhere. And he got a glimpse of the flight deck when somebody went for a wee-wee and he saw that the captain was a woman and he promptly legged it off the plane. That's a true story. Now, Carlsberg doesn't do misogyny, but if it did, it couldn't get anywhere near Jim Davidson. <laughs> I flew to JFK Airport in New York many, many years, many, 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 many years ago. And uh, the flight deck was all women. I'm not making this up. All women. But I was very woke back then. I thought it was a fantastic thing. I didn't realise how much danger I was in. I thought it was fantastic. You know, I should have known about Jim Davidson. I saw the three women. I thought, oh, it's fantastic. I couldn't wait to tell people how fantastic I thought it was so that they would know how virtuous I was. I was nudging everybody on the plane. Isn't it wonderful to see three women up there? I should have been shitting in me trousers. But I wasn't anyway. So the red arrows are toxic, Sam. <laughs> Jesus. Chief of the Air Staff, Sir Richard Knighton, said he was appalled by the findings, and he was unreservedly apologised. i tell you what, what's really interesting is, is they're going after the so-called bystander culture. Now, the bystander culture, this is the poor, the poor arsehole who doesn't sexually harass women and doesn't say misogynistic things, but he doesn't say anything at all. You know, this is the guy who just says, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and get on with my job. No, you can't do that. No, 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 no room for bystanders anymore. You've got to step up like that. Ramesh Ranganathan, the worst fucking comedian in the history of comedy. That cretinous goon. You've got to step in there and go, mate, apparently. And, and steer your friend away from the misogyny. Toxic masculinity. Did you see Jordan Peterson speaking to Piers Morgan the other day, did you? The psychologist Jordan Peterson. That the alt-right people got very excited about. Oh, he's a visionary. I said from day one Jordan Peterson was a wanker. From day one. Now people are saying, oh, Jordan Peterson's a wanker. I'm like, I told you. Three, four years ago, the guy's a cretin, you know, but people fell from the body's book, Jordan Peterson, because he, uh, he, he seemed to be taking on wokery. Uh, he wore a, a suit coloured, two different colours, so one suit with one colour on the left, one colour on the right, either red and green or red and blue. Was it a self-deprecating joke? Was he letting us in on the, on the truth that he's a shill for the establishment? Two-face, two-face, you get my meaning? It's all mad today. I've had a song going around my head all day long. Now, I know John Lennon or Bob Dylan. I'm no Daniel O'Donnell. I'm not even the Wurzels, but I had a go at cutting a track because there's been a song going around my head all day long. Yeah, we're fucked. Asher, we're fucked. We're absolutely fucked now. Totally fucked. Absolutely fucked. We're just fucked. And we know we're fucked. We're fucked. We're fucked. We're totally and utterly fucked. And how do we unfuck it? We're fucked. We're totally fucking fucked. 
And on that note. Winter's on its way and so are colds, flu and other respiratory illness. <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly. Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth 365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. 12 minutes past 5 o'clock Wednesday, the 1st of November 2023. I'm Richie Allen. This is The Richie Allen Show. Do download the app. Do send a message to me. I'll read some messages and then we'll have a little look at the COVID inquiry. Hi to Pedro who says, Richie, I'm pissing myself laughing at you, laughing at what a joke at all is really. He says, Pedro, thanks for making me laugh. You're welcome, Pedro. You have to laugh. David says, Red Arrows flew over Blackpool recently. David spelled flu, F-L-U-E. David, have a word with yourself. Have a word with yourself. Go back to that nursery school you went to and get your money back. Flu is F-L-E-W. I'm only joking, by the way. I know autocorrect is a big problem. Red Arrows flew over Blackpool recently and they put out the rainbow... Uh, colours with their smoke machine at the back of the planes. Did they, David? I have even more reason to hate them now. The Red Arrows. Yes. Sack the misogynistic bastards, if that's the case. Thanks, David. And don't um, pay any mind to my piss-taking of your spelling ability. G-Man says, aren't the Red Arrows pilots married? Well, G-Man, with that name, you must uh, know more than I do about it. I have no idea at all. Paulie says, Richie, I'll bet the colourful plumes of smoke that come out of the back of the Red Arrows is a lot more toxic than the masculinity of the pilots. I love that, Paulie. Mike says, see, they caught the painted mouse chucker. Yeah, I see this. McDonald's is not happy because some Palestinian protesters have taken to throwing boxes of mice into the into the rest... I can't say restaurants and McDonald's without collapsing in a fit of giggles like a, like a schoolgirl. It makes me laugh. Uh, McDonald's restaurant. There's nothing restaurant about McDonald's. But yeah, they, they've gone in there, the, the protesters, and released mice in there because apparently McDonald's is, is a big supporter of Israel. It's preposterous. This is bullshit. I don't know why people carry on like this. It's ridiculous. Uh, hello to John. Hello to Graham E. Who says, in the current climate, I don't think I can stomach next, next weekend's mindless celebration with symbolic explosives. I'll wear industrial ear protectors and hide away in a darkened room. Sorry for being a miserable git. Apologies not accepted, Graham. Get off the live stream and be done, <laughs> be done with you. I know exactly what you mean, pal. Right, remember, remember the 5th of November, Guy Fawkes blowing up Parliament. Yeah, yeah, but we don't want to blow up Parliament. What we really want to do is march there a million strong and just get him out of there. Get jug ears and that horse-faced bitch that he lives with out of Buckingham Palace. Just, just exile all of them. That's what we need to do. But people are terrified of this. What would we do then, Richie? Wouldn't it be the case that only the strong survive? Not necessarily. Helen McNamara has been given um, evidence to the COVID inquiry. She's basically the most senior civil servant in the UK. Or was. Or was, right? Civil servants make the government run. Do you know what they really do? Civil servants. They delivered the messages to the politicians from the shadowy elites that we talk about on programmes such as this. Yeah. Because politicians and... Poli- female and male politicians are front men and women. They, they, they do not legislate. They, they do not draw up policies or ideas. They are supposed to look like they do. All of this stuff is given to them from somewhere else. Civil servants deliver it. Think tanks deliver it. And that's what happens. So Ma- McNamara gave testimony today. Dominic Cummings 
gave testimony yesterday to his brilliant Dominic Cummings. Uh, he just called people fuck pigs for basically six, eight months during 2020. Didn't do anything about COVID. Just texted people, he's a fuck pig, he's a fuck pig, he's an arse. What a dipstick he is. Hancock is a C-U-N-T, fuck pig, fuck pig. That's all Cummings did. And uh, he swore on the Bible he would tell the truth, so he had to tell the truth. And he said, yeah, it's pretty much what I did. I called people names instead of fighting the virus. I know, I know, I know. In any case, what did this woman say today? Well, we might hear a tiny bit of it. Uh, one of the things she said was, there wasn't one day when COVID rules were followed in 10 Downing Street. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, nobody asks why. Nobody asks why. They melt down. The lefties melt down. The rules weren't followed. We followed the rules. We protected Granny. Is They never make the leap to the possibility of the fact that, well, they didn't follow the rules because they knew the rules were preposterous. Utterly preposterous. Maybe? Do you think that's maybe a possibility? Yeah. Anyway, Helen McNamara gave evidence today. COVID inquiry rumbles on. Um, she had her say, hammered Matt Hancock for a while. No harm in that. And then she was asked about Dominic Cummings because he called her, Helen McNamara, a C-U-N-T in a WhatsApp message. What did she make of all of that? It is also revealing of exactly the wrong attitude to the civil service, if I may. That's, I was doing my job as a civil servant and uh, that I'm confident about that and the way in which it was considered appropriate to describe what should happen to me, yes, as a woman, but yes, as a civil servant. It's disappointing to me that the Prime Minister didn't pick him up on the use of some of that violent and misogynistic language. Well, that, that was going to be my next question because Mr Cummings has been asked about the messages that he sent. And But, of course, is the point you make, which is that we have seen that Mr Johnson was a participant in not just that WhatsApp group, but plenty of others where this sort of language, that sort of abuse was used. Do you really saying? He's saying that Boris was a bystander. Now, Boris didn't use the language himself to describe the women in such misogynistic terms, but he was a bystander. This is going to become a big thing in the future. You cannot be a bystander anywhere. You know, you've got to be saying something. You can't just say nothing. You've got to say something. So this is good. Where is it going? And, and drawing on your experience in the Cabinet Office, what, what is your reaction to what appears to have been his, his failure uh, to um, try and stop that sort of language, that sort of attitude? I'm prevailing. Boris never put a, put a word in, never put a foot down and said, you cannot use this language. What's your response to that, Helen McNamara? It's just miles away from what is right or proper or decent or what the country deserves. Yeah, I'd give her that. It is. It's pathetic, really. Um, yeah, OK. She also said that women were spoken over and that there were far too few women involved or minority ethnic women. I swear to God, she actually said that. She said that women were spoken over at meetings. So a woman would pipe up, you know, well, I think, and then a bloke would speak over her, right? Drown her out. Far two women in total and hardly any minority ethnic women. I don't know why that's relevant. Presumably if it was uh, full of women, we wouldn't have um, had so many problems. We wouldn't have went into lockdown and closed schools. I don't know. Now on BBC Politics Live this afternoon, Stella Creasy who is a, a Labour MP from Walthamstow, is it? Am I right in saying that? Uh, the most hysterical fishwife since The Simpsons, Helen Lovejoy. 
she's mad. She wants 88% of baby boys to be castrated at birth. The remaining 12% will be used to procreate with their overladies. She never said that. I just made it up. Now, Creasy at one time agreed that curfews for men should be considered to keep women safe. I swear to God, that's true. Curfews for men. And this is because of cat calling and caterwauling and whistling and wolf whistling and all that terrible stuff that women have to put up with. Good looking women have to put up with some terrible things. Guys whistling and going, I don't know what, because I've never done it. I know you don't believe me. I've never done it. Honestly, I've never worked in a building site in my life, right? So, and it is exclusively building guys that do that sort of thing. You never see anybody else doing it. Yeah, dig, dig, keep digging, Richie. Anyway, right, Jeff. So she says that you should consider curfews for men to keep women safe. All of that, right? Now, there is one particular type of man that Stella Creasy does like, and that's trannies. Um, Creasy thinks that women can have penises. She really does. So she doesn't like men very much and talks a lot about toxic masculinity and needing to teach boys in school that they've got some sort of original sin around women, even though they haven't ever spoken to a woman at five. You're five. You've never asked a girl out on a date. You're five, but you've got an original sin. You hate women and we've got to train that out of you. She's mad, is Stella Creasy. But there is a man she does like and that's the tranny. Uh, Stella thinks that women can have, well, tallywhackers. But to be fair to Stella Creasy, to be absolutely 110% fair to her, she's not on her own. We never missed the opportunity to talk about Ed Davey from the Liberal Democrats. So a woman can have a penis? Well, quite clearly. Quite clearly. <laughs> a woman can have a penis indeed, quite quite clearly. Quite clearly, obviously. Ed Davey indeed. So the COVID inquiry, back to Stella Creasy, right? So McNamara, the civil servant, said that women were treated toxically and that there were violent WhatsApp messages and that women were spoken over. Women were treated like decorations around the cabinet, like the good old days. Uh, Like the good old days, because these were the good old days when you could get away with that sort of thing. Do you remember these days? I wonder if the government should return to the gold standard. I think it should. Good. Then we're all agreed. But, oh dear, what's this? One of the women is about to embarrass us all. I think the government should stay off the gold standard so that the pound can reach a level that will keep our exports competitive. The lady has foolishly attempted to join the conversation with a wild and dangerous opinion of her own. (laughs) What half-baked drivel. See how the men look at her with utter contempt. They were going home. Look at the effect of education on a man and a woman's mind. Education passes into the mind of a man. See how the information is evenly and tidily stored. Now see the same thing on a woman. At first we see a similar result. But now look, still at a reasonably low level of education, her brain suddenly overloads. She cannot take in complicated information. She becomes frantically and absurdly deranged. Over-education leads to ugliness, premature aging and beard growth. Now let's see the proper way. Good. So we're all agreed. We should return to the gold standard. Oh, I don't know anything about the gold standard, I'm afraid, but I do love little kittens. (laughs) They're so soft and furry. 
What a delightful thought, you dear, sweet, fragile little thing. <laughs> yeah, God be with the days. Harry Enfield and Paul Whitehouse there. This is the Richie Allen Show, 23 minutes past the hour. But I've gone off the bloody point. Stella Creasy. Okay. So Helen McNamara, giving evidence at a COVID inquiry today, said the misogyny was just off the charts. Women were ignored, spoken over, and there were these horrible, violent WhatsApp messages referring to women as C-U-N-T-S's. And all sorts of names. So Stella Creasy on Politics Live today, and she doesn't like men. What did she say? She really doesn't like men. What did she say about it? Frankly, what I see is that this is an extreme example of that toxic misogynistic culture, but it's not the only one across government and across politics. And what you see, it's not tittle-tattle because the culture in which people were making decisions and looking at issues, there's open hostility and then there's all the unconscious bias. As somebody who was in... Unconscious bias, misogyny. In ...some of the conversations with MPs trying to raise issues about care homes. Uh, at one point I was trying to raise issues about why on earth weren't we dealing with pregnant women and whether they should access the vaccine. Creasy wanted pregnant women to have the vaccine. She's a mad woman. Mm. Those systematic and systemic problems where women's voices and any kind of human thinking and, wow. and EQ was denied. How EQ must mean equality. How we got to a point where people were talking about herd immunity and the numbers of people who should be expected to take risks with their families' lives without anybody challenging it. It's but, not but just about the COVID because they were gents, being challenged. Gents, I'm trying to speak. Sorry. <laughs> Let's not... Let's no, so I can't finish your but, point, but let But it's also the point is it's not... Did you hear that? Gents, I'm trying to speak. We've just been speaking about women being spoken over at the cabinet meetings back in 2020. She doesn't realise she's on a panel debate programme and she's had a good bloody say. Shut up, love! I'd like to interject there. Stop your waffling. It's not just about COVID. It's about that broader way in which we wow. make decisions in government, what we consider yeah, to be leadership well, that's... and what we look for in people... You've talked about three different examples. Every single time we've seen this kind of thinking and this kind of behaviour. You seen... cannot tell me, Stephen, that the same questions about how decisions were made around the Brexit deal and this kind of bully boy... Um, there's a very obscene term well, that I've used. I think the is, isn't the is, difference, is, Stella, is, here, is, the language that's it. being Let's used. This is Stephen Hammond. He's a Tory MP. Which is unforgivable and misogynistic. And as Harry said, it play, you know, we saw... Mr. Cummings um, and his character come out fully revealed in this. And some of us who've met him on other occasions probably uh, expected that to happen. And has it led to bad decisions uh, as a result? Now, she's asking this question to a guy called Harry Cole. Harry Cole is the political editor of the Sun newspaper. Listen to him. Clearly, bad decisions were made in the pandemic, but that, that, is, that, is, that is apparent. We, know, we don't necessarily need an inquiry of a million quid a week to tell us that one. We knew that at the time. But, but, but women's voices missing being part of that. Well, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm sure of that. I have no doubt about that. But also, the problem is, you say that Rishi Sunak was there in the room. Yes, he was. Mm. But he was raising concerns on behalf of the Treasury about the economy. You had Boris Johnson also. You know, this idea that basically... The problem I have with the tone of the inquiry... Listen, the tone of the inquiry... ...so far is it appears to have decided that lockdown was the right answer. It appears to have decided already that we didn't lock down soon enough. That's probably true if we were going to do it. But there doesn't seem to be any stressing of the actual decisions made. It's all about the process of what the decisions, how they got to them. But actually, I would like the inquiry, like it's being done in other countries, to look at... 
did we get the decisions right? Yes, let's look at how they're made. But on the big scale of things, we're still well, recovering from lockdown. Point, the economy is still in the absolute toilet because of lockdown. Was it the right decision? We don't seem to be talking about that. We seem to be talking about well, we know how we got to the decision of lockdown. Yeah, Harry Cole, political editor of The Sun there, worrying about how they reached decisions. This is the inquiry. The backbiting and the chaos are not worrying whether lockdown was a legitimate response. We predicted this, you and I. The inquiry would be a whitewash. Now, Annabelle Denham is a Telegraph columnist. She was on Talk TV today. She shares Harry Cole's fear. My concern with the COVID inquiry is and has always been that it will not ultimately answer the most important question, which is whether lockdown was an appropriate measure for a pandemic for a disease with the fatality rate of the coronavirus. And it seems to me that Baroness Hallett and the lead council have already reached some kind of conclusion that lockdown was necessary, that we needed that blunt authoritarian tool. And it's really just a question of timings of how the decisions were made and perhaps why we didn't lock down soon enough, why we didn't lock down hard enough, why we didn't lock down for long enough. And that's very concerning because the next time the pandemic reaches our shores, which by the way, will probably be before this inquiry has even been wound up. No. We're not going to have learned any of the really crucial lessons. Mm, Annabel Denham echoing your man, the political editor from The Sun. They're messing around, worrying about how decisions were reached and they're worrying about the interpersonal relationships of the players, but they're not actually asking the question of whether or not lockdown was warranted, legal, or did in fact do more harm than any virus. Now you might say, when they eventually get to Witty and Van Tam and Valence, the three amigos, and by the way, the three amigos, Martin Short, Chevy Chase and Steve Martin, the characters, had more brains in their toenails than Witty, Valence and uh, Van Tam. I watched the uh, three amigos the other night, actually. Honestly, when you, think, when you think about it. Let me get to some of these messages. John Heffernan, hi John. My 13-year-old is pitting herself laughing. Good evening, 13-year-old. Delighted. Ian says Jordan Peterson talks in word salad, gives a long answer to a question that means absolutely feck all when you hear it. Be a monster Netanyahu, he said in a tweet. Nice guy. That's right. Peterson advocates genocide in, in Gaza. Yeah, he does. Yeah. What a wanker. Sarah says, Richie, just got told my senior school closed tomorrow because of the storm. What the hell? Sarah, it depends on where you are because apparently it's going to be pretty wild in the UK today. Bridget says, Red Arrows learn how to do it above my head. They come from Anglesey. Regular air displays by rookies, says Bridget. Keep an eye on the sky, Bridget. You don't want trainees flying over you, do you? Hi to Paulie, who says, Dominic Cummings is a loathsome git, but he's spot on in his observations about his colleagues. Hi to Sue, who says she, Helen McNamara, was the one who brought even the karaoke machine in for the parties. Yes, she did. Well remembered, Sue. The big old brain on Sue. Uh, Don says you can guarantee they are going to spin the COVID inquiry to say they should have locked down harder and got the vaccine sooner. I agree. I agree. Hi to Richard Sunday. Dickie Sunday. How you doing, Richard? Hi to John Taylor. Hi, John. Hi, Patricia, who says proving that for some wackos, there is no end to their wackiness. Amen, sister. Hi to Faisal, who says, of course women can have a penis. They can have mine anytime, says Faisal. <laughs> Well, it depends on the woman now, Faisal. It depends on the woman. Good evening to Pandora. Uh, hi to Wayne, who says, on the meat packaging, this is the idea that to dissuade people from having meat, because meat is a climate killer, 
Uh, Wayne says, I'm envisioning a photograph of the Earth from space engulfed in a ball of fire. If I see this idea used, I want my commission, says Wayne. Good man. It's not a bad shout, Wayne. Not a bad shout at all. I enjoyed listening to you yesterday. Thank you, pal. And hi to Jenny as well. And Pandora said, bravo, Richie. That's a number one right there. Brutal truth in the form of music. I'm not sure it's a number one now. We'll give it another spin for the crack. <laughs> yeah, we're fucked. Asher, we're fucked. We're absolutely fucked now. Totally fucked. Absolutely fucked. We're just fucked. And we know we're fucked. We're fucked. We're fucked. We're totally and utterly fucked. And how do we unfuck it? We're fucked. We're totally fucked. F- Enough of that nonsense. Here's them. Um, your man. George, George Benson, that's right. Back in a few minutes. Uh, Gerard O'Connor will join the programme later on. You do not want to miss him. It's Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is exactly 28 to 6. Yeah, George Benson and Give Me is a Night on the Richie Allen Show. 25 minutes it is to the top of the hour. The Richie Allen Show is archived on iTunes, on Spotify, Podomatic, Podbean, anywhere you get your podcast. There's no excuse for missing me. (laughs) There's a few excuses for missing me, I'll grant you that. There is a relatively new podcast, extra, extra, you're getting it extra every morning, around about 9.30. It's called The Papers. It's not live, it's a podcast. 9.30 UK time, roughly, it downloads or uploads or whatever. It is entitled The Papers. We like to think here at BBG Towers, we like to think is that it has got a very, very catchy team. It's got a catchy team tune. Yeah. I'm telling you, some man for one man, huh? So the papers, yeah, sometime around 9.30 most mornings. Thanks for your messages. A number of you have reached out to me to tell me that I'm an idiot. Uh, What is new? What is new? You said that when Stella Creasy said EQ, she didn't mean equality. I should have known that. She meant emotional intelligence or emotional quotient. Thank you, Brainiacs, for pointing that out to me. I can't, you know, I can't be, you know, I, I can't be right all the time or some of the time. <laughs> Not even some of the time. Hi to Darren B. Hi to Anita, who says, Richie, in the interview uh, piece you played, I've heard Harry Cole say, we all knew the decisions were bad. I almost fell off my chair. Did you? As in, why didn't you say anything? You dipstick, says Anita. Excellent point, Anita. Aren't they brilliant? Rear, rear, what, what, backseat drivers? No, that's not appropriate. They're great now with the hindsight, aren't they? Good point, Anita. Yeah, I'd love to interview some of these people just for a minute. Absolutely. Uh, Good evening, Ava. How are you? She's listening in. 13 years of age. Hardly appropriate. No, it is. It's very appropriate. Have a good evening, Ava. Karen has been on to say, Richie, the COVID inquiry is another nice little earner for someone. I tell you what, Karen, you're not wrong. Hugo Keith KC. It's a it's a nice little bunce for him, as as David Brent would say. A nice little bunce, a Bunsen burner, a nice little earner. Yeah, he's getting a million quid easy. To talk bollocks for, for until June twenty twenty six. They will be hearing from witnesses until June twenty twenty six. I swear to God. By June twenty twenty six, none of us will give a shit about COVID lockdowns anymore because we'll be in climate lockdowns. Or we'll be in climate lockdowns then. And we'll all be able to watch the decision as it's given down by the judge, by the, the woman who's doing the COVID inquiry. I can't remember her name because it doesn't matter. We'll all be indoors because we'll be in climate lockdown in 15-minute cities, he says depressingly. 
yeah. Sarah says, Richie, thank you, Sarah. <laughs> good, good stuff. <laughs> Graham says, Richie, an analogy of the COVID inquiry. It's like a man, not blindfolded, looking at his own firing squad and wondering why they haven't polished the buttons on their uniforms. Outstanding, Graham. Well done. <laughs> and Kieran says, wait for it. Hi, Kieran. Richie, the wife and I stayed in a hotel in Donegal last night. Now, this start this starting really well, this message. Fantastic, right. But then, sadly, he, he goes on to talk about something else. In the bathroom was a card saying, Save Our Planet. I rolled my eyes when it further said, Save Energy by leaving your towel on the rack to let us know you'll use again. That'll save the big ball, all right. It's fecking everywhere, I tell you, says Kieran. Absolutely. Leave your towel on the rack so that we know you'll use it again so that we don't have to put it through the wash cycle again, thereby saving some CO2, thereby contributing to saving the planet. Hi to Les, who says, Richie Cummins, Cummings called out Hancock yesterday, saying basically he didn't get the care homes enough tests, resulting in lots of elderly being put on end-of-life drugs. I need to get that clip, Les. I've searched for it today. I've searched high and low as Morton Harkett once sang. But I can't find it. I'll get it before the week is out. In any case, we're going to talk a little bit now about Joe Rogan, who's a stand-up comic and a mixed martial artist. He is one of the main pundits or commentators at the UFC events. I don't watch them myself. My friend Tez, hello Tez. Tez loves a bit of UFC, a bit of mindless violence, our Tez. And um, I'm a hypocrite. I, I watch boxing. Sure, it's all the same, isn't it? We're not quite, but violence is violence. In any case, Joe Rogan does a podcast. He does a podcast. And to Joe's credit, it is hugely popular around the world, around the globe. Wink, wink. And Joe invites people on for long-form discussions. Sometimes they are interesting. I listened to Graham Hancock on one recently. I enjoyed some of what he was saying, but I found Hancock to be a little bit pompous. Just a little bit. Maybe that's not a bad thing for some, but I found him a bit pompous. That was an interesting interview. And he's interviewed Elon Musk as Joe. And he interviewed Musk just before Musk flew to the UK to be part of this conference on artificial intelligence, right? So Joe interviewed Musk, and some interesting things came out of that. One or two, I thought I would save them for you. I've asked, I've sought permission from nobody, um, but I don't believe Joe Rogan would mind a little guy like me playing a couple of clips and giving him credit and promoting his podcast, not that he needs any promotion. You can get it on Spotify primarily, the Joe Rogan show, I think. Now, so he had Musk gone, then Elon Musk, the man who owns Twitter now, SpaceX, Elon, and the, the, the Tesla car. And all of that, right? Okay, here we go. Um, so the first thing we're going to hear is Rogan speaking to Musk about acquiring the platform formerly known as Twitter, these days known as X. What has it been like? Uh, you've you've owned X for a year now. Oh yeah. Do, do you do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and have a dream that you didn't do it? <laughs> now I know it sounds a bit like Glen Rowe, but hang on, it does get a bit more exciting. And your life is infinitely easier. Well, it's certainly um, a recipe for trouble, I suppose, or contention. Um, what was it ultimately that led you to make the decision to do it? I mean, this is going to sound... I mean, Glenn Rowe did move quicker than this. Uh, somewhat melodramatic, but I was worried about 
that that it was having a corrosive effect on civilization. Uh, that it was uh, just having a bad a bad impact. Um, corrosive effect on civilization. I like that. a bad impact on humanity. And um, I think part of it is that it's it's where it's where it was located, which is uh, you know downtown San Francisco. Um, and while I, I think San Francisco is a beautiful city, and and we should really fight hard to um, kind of right the ship of San Francisco. If you've walked around downtown San Francisco, right near the ex FKA Twitter headquarters, it's a zombie apocalypse. Now he said it's a zombie apocalypse around the headquarters of the tech companies. When he said this, I was listening to this this morning while I was out running, and I thought he meant poor people who are on fentanyl or other addictive substances who are a bit like zombies. But no, he's not talking about people who are on drugs. He's talking about the young men and women who work in San Francisco, who've been destroyed by a kind of a hive mind or a mind virus. Listen. I mean, it's rough. Have you, have you been, been in that area? Not lately. No. Yeah. I've heard. It's crazy. I've heard it's crazy. I've heard you, you really can't believe it until you actually go there. You can't believe it until you go there. So now you have to say, well, what philosophy led to that outcome? And that philosophy was being piped to Earth. So, um, you know, a philosophy that would be ordinarily quite niche and geographically constrained, so that the sort of the fallout uh, area would be limited, um, was effectively given an information a weapon, um, a te- uh, information technology weapon to propagate uh, what is essentially a mind virus to the rest of Earth. Um, and the outcome of that mind virus is very clear if you walk around the streets of downtown San Francisco. It is the end of civilization. The end of civilization. A lot of woke, virtue signaling, people affected by a mind virus. And these people had a megaphone to the world when, when they had Twitter, said Elon Musk. That's kind of interesting. It goes on a bit. And it's not just uh, propagating the mind virus, but suppressing any opposing viewpoints. Yes. Well, in order for the virus to propagate, it must suppress opposing viewpoints. So, because it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Correct. Yeah. I mean, you, you've. I mean, you've. You, you, you've. You've felt the, the virus. You know? Yeah. Yeah. People have tried to cancel you so many times. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, I don't think you're melodramatic at all. I, I, I think it's a, it's a, I mean. I don't want to be melodramatic, but it's almost like a death cult. It's a death cult. No, no, it, it, that is exactly right. Um, it, it, uh, it, it's essentially the uh, extinctionists. Like, it's in the limit, it is that they're propagating uh, the extinction of humanity and civilization. They're propagating the extinction of humanity and civilization. Now, dear listener, he's going to refer to an article that appeared in the New York Times back in July. And the article is about a guy called Les Knight. Les Knight is the founder of the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement, right? And he was featured in this article in the New York Times. He believes that human beings should should reach a decision voluntarily now that we basically kill ourselves off by choosing not to procreate anymore. He's not necessarily advocating that legislation is introduced to prevent people from procreating. He's not advocating killing people. 
He's advocating that humanity voluntarily accepts that we're going to destroy the planet. We better stop now. <laughs> right? And not have any more babies. Les Knight from the Voluntary Human Extinction Movement. And Musk is going to reference this guy in a minute. And I just wanted you to know kind of like who he was talking about. Like, um, and, and there's some people who are, are like most, most of the time it's, it's implicit. They don't explain But sometimes it's explicit. Like there was a guy on the front page of the New York Times uh, who literally has the thing called the extinctionist movement. Um, and he was quoted on the front page of the New York Times as saying, uh, there are 8 billion people in the world, but it would be better if there were none. Ooh. And I'm like, well, buddy, you can start with yourself. Yeah. Um, Does he have friends? That's what always fascinates me. <laughs> Does he have friends? I'm with Joe Rogan. Les Knight is the type of guy I'd like to interview, but he wouldn't speak to me. Even though I wouldn't be rude, I just chat with him and say, what's wrong, what's wrong with you? Anyway, this goes on. As they talk about, imagine if people like Les Knight, who worked in tech and in, in social media, imagine they got a hold of artificial intelligence. Listen. Uh, extinction is a word he uses. Yes. No, I mean, it's, not a, it's literally a self-description. Did that, they cover that him death cult was in charge of in social, in social media. Yeah. And still largely is at... Uh, Google and Facebook, by the way. Yeah. So yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm not in favor of uh, human extinction. Uh, they are, and uh, they can go to hell. Well, that guy is. They can go to hell. Yes. Yeah, he can go to hell. That guy seems silly. I, uh, I well, would like to hang out with him, though. I would like to find out what makes him tick. I bet that guy is fascinating. And here's the bit about artificial intelligence. In the hands of people who think it might be better if humans were extinct. I'm pro-environment, but the, 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 in the limit... Uh, if you go, if if you take environmentalism to an extreme, you start to view humanity as a plague on the surface of the earth, like a like a mold or something. Right. Um, and but it's, it's this is actually false. Uh, the earth could could take probably ten times the the current civilization. The the population could be you could ten x the population without uh, destroying the rainforest. So the the the, the environmental movement, and I'm an environmentalist, uh, has gone too far. They've gone way too far. Um, you know, if, if, you, if you start thinking that, that humans are bad, then the natural conclusion is humans uh, should die out. Now, I'm headed to an AI safety, international sort of AI safety conference uh, later tonight, leaving in about three hours. Um, and um, I don't know, meet with the British Prime Minister and a number of other people. Um, so you have to say, like, how could AI go wrong? Well, if, if, if AI gets programmed by the extinctionists, it will, its utility function will be the extinction of humanity. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, particularly if... They won't even think it's bad, like that guy. Right. Yeah. If you let it's AI... Up. There's a lot of decisions that AI would make that would be very similar to eugenics. Very similar to eugenics. Well, they're talking about it. Bletchley Park, eh? That is where they've gathered. Chinese are there. Africans are there. Not sure about the Russians, probably not. And they're there to talk about the implications of artificial intelligence. Good evening to Anto, who said the government is having a convid inquiry on whether they did their jobs or not. You couldn't make it up. Well, it is theoretically independent, Anto, but I, I hear you. Hi to Paddy, who says we didn't lock down for long enough. Are you shitting me? But this is what some believe will be the outcome. Some believe the 
the findings of the inquiry or the finding of the inquiry in sometime in 2027, presumably, if they're going to hear witnesses until summer 2026, it'll be another year before they come back. And at that point, it is believed by many that it'll be one massive whitewash, that it will be the government was uh, foolish not to listen to the scientists and lock down harder, lock down sooner, faster, and not come out of lockdown so soon. I'm guessing this is what we're we're going to get inevitably at the end of all of this. It's exactly 10 minutes to the top of the hour. You're with the Richie Allen Show. Gerardo Colmon will be with me really soon. Thank you for the messages. They are legion. Many of them coming in. Hi to Michelle, who says, Read the inquiry. Has anyone mentioned they declassified COVID to that of a flu some days before they locked down? Uh, how convenient, says Michelle. Thank you, Michelle. Uh, Simon says, or dead with the turn up of the 5G. I don't know what you mean, Simon. Presumably you sent that as I was saying something a short time ago. Paul says, Camilla Harris has just walked into number 10 Downing Street. She was laughing with that weird evil laugh she has. She obviously cannot believe how a half-wit fraud like herself can get to such high levels of power. Hi to Shane, who says, going by the amount of teenagers listening in, I would love to hear a monthly call-in for the concerns of our kids. Uh, Thanks for the idea, Shane. Uh, Hi to Simon, who says, I've seen that in hotels for years, the sign that that our listeners came across in Donegal in the hotel, it was originally... Uh, the sign was originally used to save money on washing. Carol says, bring back Mary Whitehouse. It was her, was her nonsense so different from the nonsense of today? So many forms of scum in life, isn't there, says Carol. The government version is a particularly awful kind, though. Just a thought, she says. Hi to John Taylor. Uh, thank you, John. Hi to Simon. John's a flat earther. I have no interest in it as a theory. It's inconsequential to me. But I'm not being disrespectful to John at all. Everybody should believe that which they feel they should believe. And they should say it and be happy saying it. And they shouldn't be censored. I don't uh, believe it. I, I don't believe it even matters, to be honest. It is eight minutes to the top of the hour. And I reserve my right to my opinion. And you reserve your right to listen to another uh, live radio show where they tell you the earth is flat. That's how it goes. So I did Darren again. Maybe I should turn into cannibalism. And dine on my own body parts <laughs> to support, uh, to, to help prevent the overcrowding of the planet, he says. David Bramble has been in touch. Sick as two short planks. Kamala Harris is coming to the AI conference. Let's hope she picks up any spare intelligence there. Yeah, you'd be called a racist by any other presenter except me, David, because I know you're not being racist. And final word for the minute goes to Davy. It says, Richie, really enjoyed the show last night with the spooky stories. I sent you a message, uh, but with the phone in, I understand why uh, they could be, couldn't could be read out. Thanks, Davy, and I'm sorry I didn't get to your message. We had a couple of hundred messages come in with stories. So we should do another one. We shouldn't wait for Halloween to do another one, where we talk about encounters of the spooky kind. And maybe some of the people who sent messages can actually give us a call and get on and chat with me, because I'd love that, because I really enjoyed it last night as well. I mean, I properly enjoyed that. That was a great show. It was fun and very, very interesting too. Six and a half minutes to the top of the air. This is Odyssey on The Richie Allen Show.
that song was given a new lease of life by the snooker player John Higgins, believe it or not. John Higgins at one time used it as his walk on music when he was playing snooker on the World Snooker Tour. I knew of the song because I played it at disco bars years ago. But all of a sudden people were telling me, well, it's a great song, Richie. It's called Native New Yorker. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. John Higgins the Wizard of Wishaw has a good taste in music and, and he's a pretty decent snooker player as well is uh, John Higgins uh, John came back to say uh, thanks John I appreciate that he says I don't consider myself a flat earther Richie I'm objective and an objective inquirer I am big on the question of where we are and the earth topic is a big part of that uh, my pal Jean Ann Crowley um, is, is, is open minded to everything she will give everything a chance and uh, we, we talk about it from time to time. She finds aspects of it interesting. As a very wise woman, she would be open-minded. I don't buy into it, but my not buying into it is complicated because I subscribe to the holographic universe theory. So th- this is what I mean when I say it doesn't matter to me whether it is or whether it isn't, right? So, so that's where I am on it. But I have made room for it on the programme before. Those who are proponents of the theory could not accuse me of not making room for it. I did make room for it and I interviewed a guy who's got a pretty popular podcast about it and I did that and then we just kind of move on. That is how it is. This is how it works, yeah. Now Paulie came on to say, by the way, Paulie gave us a great call on the programme last night as well. Hi Paulie. Richie, speaking of lockdown... I literally just had an email from my younger daughter's primary school to say that it is closed tomorrow because amber weather warnings present a significant threat to life. Seriously, is there any wonder why we are being overrun by snowflakes? Now, Paulie, I could be wrong, and I certainly do not know any more than you know. This is just a theory. They want the children of the world to believe that climate change is an existential threat. Do they not? They do. So they get wind on their weather radar systems. They get wind, no pun intended. They get um, a notice that we're going to have some very heavy rainfall towards the end of the week. If you wanted to reinforce in the minds of children that there is an existential threat to the planet caused by climate change, well then, one of the things you might do is keep them off school and use terminology like Amber weather warning, significant threat to life to further scare the living bejesus out of the kiddies and reinforce the idea that climate change is real and that it could kill us. Yeah, you're not the first parent to say that schools are being closed tomorrow because of heavy rainfall. Yeah. Now look, I've got to be honest about it and be a proper presenter, a proper journalist and say that maybe they've gotten um, wind, again, no pun intended, of the fact that it's going to be very severe in some places and it might lead to flooding and that might cause transport issues, maybe. And if that is the case, well, then maybe it's appropriate to say, right, keep the kids home tomorrow. But look, I'm with you. It's all a bit sinister and it's all a little bit, um, well, it's a bit glum, really. It's a little bit glum, really. Um, so Garoda said hello to us. Hi, Garoud. Um, I'll... Uh, uh, just asking, is are we good to talk in a minute? I think we're good to talk in a minute. And before we do that, though, uh, I want to do this. Um, do check out 
NutraHealth365.com and my pal Eamon get your immune system up to scratch in time for this coming winter good product winter's on its way and so are colds flu and other respiratory illness <laughs> a robust immune system and vitamin D3 are your weapons in the fight to keep healthy when things get chilly Immunex 365 vitamin capsules from NutraHealth365 combine effective levels of vitamins D3 C and K2 as well as zinc and quercetin to give your body that winter boost at just two capsules a day. Plus, for your peace of mind, all NutraHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Visit NutraHealth365.com now and get winter ready. Yeah, it's a minute past six. Thanks so much for all of your messages today. I really appreciate them. Um, There was something else I wanted to tell you about. Look, I'll do one final plug for uh, the papers. There's a new podcast that began last week. It is me looking through the papers of a morning... Right, it's usually published sometime before 10 o'clock. It's only 20 to 23 minutes long. And a little bit of crack, really. It's nice. And uh, it's kind of taking off a bit, which I'm glad about. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any point in doing it. So it is something extra. And because I'm providing you something extra, can I just say this? And I very rarely, if ever, solicit support. You know I don't. Now, I came back from um, my summer holiday on the first Monday of September. I'm into my ninth week right? I've had no time off since then. Uh, Doing five live radio shows a week. It is an extremely difficult, physically and mentally, exercise effort to do that. I'm putting it out there. If you go through iTunes or Podomatic, look back at the last nine weeks, you'll see that we've had some fantastic guests on. And uh, I think the show's in good shape. I'm asking you, because the mostly the support for the show comes in on the first day of the month. Um, It's down a bit, and I know why it's down a bit. It's down a bit because people are struggling. They're struggling really badly, and I get that. So if you've been supporting the show and you're struggling, don't listen to me. But if you've not supported the show before, and you can do, support the show. You obviously think it's worth listening to. You download it. You listen to it live. It makes you laugh. You hear some interesting guests. It's part of your day. Put your hand in your pocket and make a monthly contribution to the program because it doesn't get... So it isn't, I've not got 10, 12 ad, ad breaks an hour or two hours or three ad breaks an hour with five advertisers. There is none. I've had a bit of help from NutraHealth365, which ended last week. That was great. They're great people. I need support. I need you to support me because you are the only support. So please, if you can, if you cannot, ignore me. Continue to listen. You are as welcome as anybody else. And thank you for listening to the programme. How do you support it? Uh, If you go to richieallen.co.uk, there is a tag which says support your show. On there, you will find bank details, a Patreon account detail. You'll also find a snail mail address. I've got a PO box here in Salford. And let me say this, and I mean it, to everybody who has supported this show since September 2014, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you very much. Never for a minute imagine that you're not appreciated. You are. All right? And you won't hear me say this again for several more months because I don't do it. I very rarely do it. I want to welcome back to the programme a fantastic journalist and broadcaster. I'm very fond of him. I've never met him, but um, he's been gracing this programme for some years now. He's an independent Irish writer, as I said, and broadcaster. You'll find him on Twitter. His Twitter account is at Broadford Soviet. At Broadford Soviet. On the podcast notes, this is a live radio show. 
on the podcast notes, I will put links to where you can read him because he's a terrific writer. Let's welcome back to the programme one of our own. It's uh, none other than Gerard O'Colmon. Gerard, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richie. How are you? Thank you very much. Thanks for having me back. Great it's a, to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, I don't know how I am, really. I I feel kind of inadequate, and I do really mean this. I've spoken about the plight of the people of Palestine ever since I learned history in secondary school, ever since I went to third level to study history, ever since I believed in political parties like the Socialist Workers' Party and Sinn Féin, which of course I don't anymore. And um, I've always felt, I don't know, a kind of a kinship with people there. Maybe it's because of our own struggles. Historically, I have no idea. I, I don't know what to do or, or say about what's happening there at the moment. Nobody condemns the murder of any civilian, no matter where they are in the world, or children, what happened on October 7th, whatever did happen, and how it happened. We could talk about that, but it's, it's terrible. But what's happening in Gaza is abominable. I don't have the English to describe it. I saw today, Garod, the children, I've seen the pictures, Children carrying the dead bodies of children. Um, 4,000 kids dead, 8,000 people and counting. What, how do you begin to even discuss why this is happening and the bigger geopolitical, um, I suppose, picture where this is all going to, to end up? And that's why I invited you back, pal, because yours is a voice, I think, worth listening to. Where do you start? Um, I think we should start, first of all, by bracketing uh, October 7th for the moment and just uh, focus on what we're dealing with here. And uh, I'd just like to give you a couple of quotations here um, from Israeli officials, uh, just so that your listeners have an idea of what we're talking about, essentially. Uh, Ezra Yakin uh, says, Ezra Yakin is a veteran Israeli uh, soldier who comes on uh, Israeli media regularly. Uh, he says, wipe out their families, their mothers and their children. These animals must not be allowed to live any longer. Uh, Daniel Hagari is an Israeli army spokesman who uh, said in Haaretz, Haaretz is the, uh, one of the mainstream uh, Israeli journals, on October the 10th, he said, uh, we, are we are dropping hundreds of tons of bombs on Gaza. The focus is on destruction, not accuracy. So the focus is on destruction, not accuracy. Uh, Ariel Kalner from the Liquid Party, the party said, um, "Now there is only one goal: Nakba, a Nakba in Gaza, and that will dwarf the Nakba of 1948." So uh, then, just to finish, um, the Israeli Defense Minister Yoav Gallant said, "There will be no electricity, no food, no fuel. Everything is closed. We are fighting animal people." and we are acting accordingly. So this is what they are saying themselves. They yeah. are saying themselves, essentially, they are going to try to wipe out the entire population of Gaza, kill everyone, uh, men, women, and children, and they're not looking for terrorists or, you know, there's no direct, there's no special targets. It's just destroy and completely wipe out uh, the entire population. So this is what we're dealing with now in 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 the uh, occupied territories so i suppose the question is um you know how do you analyze that what what what's going to happen next i think the uh, so i mean you know to be precise the israeli government are saying yes we're committing genocide and we don't care nobody's going to stop us we've got the united states on our side uh we've got all the european powers under our control 
and we don't really care what you think or what you say. We've got enough of our people in the media to make you believe all kinds of stories and whether we believe it or not and how many of you, you know, demonstrate, we don't really care. So what's happening around the world then is you see uh, the other side, which is you see uh, demonstrations, we'll say pro-Palestinian demonstrations uh, in European cities. So you've had major demonstrations in France, in Germany, in Britain, in, in Ireland, everywhere, right? There's demonstrations taking place, pro-Palestinian, pro-Israeli, but let's just talk about the pro-Palestinian demonstrations. You know, the, it is a fact that Hamas as a political organization was promoted by the Likudniks in the Israeli administration for the purposes of discrediting Palestinian national determination politics in general. If you get a couple of Al Akbar shouting lunatics and put them in charge of a political organization, you discredit the organization, nobody's going to support it, and then you can call the entire resistance movement terrorism. And just so before, just before, it's clear that the purpose of Hamas was to discredit the Palestinian resistance movement. Yeah. And they did that very, very well. Can I come in on that quickly? Just because I, I, I have Jewish friends who might be listening to this. Now, they're not necessarily Israeli supporters, they're not, but they might be expecting me several times to jump in and demand a bit of proof from you. I'm not going to do it. The Times of Israel wrote about this several years ago. Netanyahu had a stated policy of supporting Hamas to do that very thing you described there, which is undermine uh, the Palestinian attempts to um, seek statehood and become an in independent state. So that's on the record. In case anybody's wondering why I'm giving Garod an easy time here, I'm not. Uh, he, he's on the record, Netanyahu, and the Times of Israel has written about this extensively. Sorry for interrupting you, pal. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, 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 again, it's not really a secret and of course it's 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 um it's a logical strategy from an israeli point uh, from an israeli perspective you discredit the um the opposition and the best way of doing that is to promote these these irrationalism you know now um i'm not going to get into here the whole politics of who is a terrorist and who isn't obviously i've just quoted a few terrorists for you before different quotations there from israeli state terrorism uh and you know, the, the, on the Hamas side, have just said that they are essentially a product of Israeli policy uh, against the Palestinians. But look, that's the situation we're in. That's the situation they're in. That's not the fault of the entire Palestinian population that, you know, Hamas took control of their movement and so on. Uh, that's a complex situation, obviously. Uh, so, them in, right? you know, words like terrorism are just meaningless at this stage. You're dealing with a war, but you're dealing with a war where, um, you know, you have the most powerful country in the world, United States, supporting um, an extremely powerful, well-armed uh, statelet in the Middle East that is now committing genocide against, uh, you know, unarmed civilians. So um, that's the situation we're dealing with. Just to come back to the demonstrations and so on. Uh, in Europe, you know, you have you have a complex situation uh, here because you have the rise of the so-called the so-called far right in, in Europe. Okay, so right-wing populist parties, and there are different currents, but the ones that most people have heard about and kind of see are Zionist far right parties. So they're uh, Robinson, Tommy Robinson, that kind of current have all been pushed by Israeli foreign policy in Europe. And they're, you know, they they say a lot of true true things. You know, like this is why they're popular. You know, people aren't stupid 
people will they say an awful lot of things that are true about mass immigration, about the state of the world, about the way liberals, you know, the mess liberal society has got us into in Europe. But they are, um, you know, I've been saying this for years, you know, you go, you see their, their demonstrations uh, and you'll see Israeli flags. So the Isra- Israeli uh, foreign policy has completely hijacked those movements and are under their pay. And they have been for years. How do we and know? So how do we know they're under their pay, Garud? How do we know that the likes of Robinson would be financially reimbursed by Israeli interests? Because I've never everybody, seen. Everybody knows Robinson has been in Israel several times. Everybody knows he has links to Israeli uh, intelligence. Um, similarly, with most of these movements, you know, they they, they 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 don't really disguise the fact that you know they're 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 being supported by the Israeli embassy. You know, it's not something they're even trying to hide. Tommy Robinson hasn't really denied that. Uh, they Israel think that event. they ba- basically boast about it because you know they're up, they think that Israel is defending uh, Western values and so on. So um, it's not really it's not really a secret as such. You know, it's not really a secret that uh, you know American politicians support Israel because Israel runs the media. You know, I mean, if you if you say if you'd say that, you're cancelled. You know, which is proof that it's true. Um, so. Uh, you know, the control, obviously, of media and finance is not uh, is not a myth. You just have to look at the names and look at very often double, you know, dual citizenship, and you see that uh, Jews have a absolute overrepresentation in the global media. That's that's not a myth. You can deny it. You can you know say whatever you want, but I think anybody who does the research knows that. They're massively overrepresented. Can I do and a quick? Can uh, I do a quick? Um, can I do a quick? Way of saying it. Let me do a quick devil's advocate because. Um, I want to direct people to a website. It's it's antisemitism.adl.org um, forward slash power. Now, I'm not making this point because I'm accusing Garod of being anti-Semitic. He isn't. I know he isn't at all. He's making a point. He's stating that which he believes. Um, I'm supposed to be neutral here, so I'm going to maintain neutrality. But antisemitism.adl.org forward slash power for a bit of balance there. It's um it's done a big piece on this the myth that Jews have too much power and are overrepresented in banking and in the media. So if anybody anybody wants to read the counter argument to that which Garod has just put put forth, go to that website and check it out. There's a, an article an article there that says, look, it is a myth. You know, there, there are Jewish people involved and in movie companies and one or two news organisations, but it is a myth that Jews are in control of their media. I'm just saying that. I'm putting it out there. Go ahead. I like Rich. I, I agree with uh, your strategy. I think it's a good. I think it's always a good idea to put out counter arguments because if if I'm wrong, then I'll come back next time and say, "Well, I read that site." Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I realize I was wrong. I have been wrong in the past. You know, I've I've always admitted I. I am wrong. So uh, I mean, I might be wrong, but uh, I, and and I, uh, regarding anti-Semitism, I don't really care if everybody thinks I'm anti-Semitic. Maybe I am. Maybe I am racist. Maybe I'm a horrible person. Uh, I don't. I obviously don't care. I mean, the fact that I'm saying this means I don't care. So yeah. uh, I have this whole question of anti this and anti that. Uh, maybe I'm the devil, you know, and I I really don't care yeah. what people call me. Uh, you know, I think we're, uh, so. If you're going to talk about these subjects, then I really don't care what I'm called. No, but can uh, I just can I just say this? Want. Can I just say this and then get out of your way again? I will get out of your way. I say this because I know Jewish people. And I, I'm not enthralled to Jewish people. Jewish people are not any more special than anybody else. But I know good Jewish people. I know hundreds of Jewish people who are out on the marches you described earlier on. And some of these Jewish people, they roll their eyes 
when they hear the Jews run the media, the Jews this, and they say, Richie, I'm like yourself, I've got a mortgage, I'm barely holding it together. What's with this, the Jews run the media shit? That's what I get from them, and they should be represented too. And this is why I interject when I when I do, you know. Um, this is a free sure, speech. Sure, no, look, yeah. you have to. I mean, as a broadcaster, you have to. But uh, I, know, I know Jews too. And uh, they say they agree with me. They say the Jews do run the media. So I, I don't know. Maybe they're wrong. But uh, again, uh, you know, look, this whole question of anti-Semitism is, you know, this was look, this was a term developed. This is a term which was invented to discredit any criticism of Jews. Agreed. It's as simple as that. Agreed. Um, I look, I, I'm I'm a Catholic revert. I was never really Catholic, but I'm doing my best to be one the last few years. And you know, it's actually the Jews that converted me to Catholicism. So I'm very um, grateful to the Jews for that probably saved my soul uh, when I realized just the mess they were making of the world I realized that the Catholic Church was right uh, when it when it when it refused to recognize Israel because uh, Israel refuses to recognize Christ and so that's you know I'm very grateful to Jews for that um, for and I'm sure there are many other Christians out there who were converted by the Jews as well so um, I'm not, uh, I couldn't be anti, uh, anti-Semitic, obviously, if I'm a Christian, because the Bible is based on the Old Testament, which is the story of chosen people. And, and as uh, Catholics, yeah. we believe that. Abraham. Yeah. But the, to come back just to the religious aspect, I, which I think is important here, because um, when Pope St. Pius X uh, was visited by Theodor Herzl on January 25th, 1904, Theodor Herzl was I suppose, foolishly hoping that the Catholic Church would support the establishment of a Jewish state in Palestine. And the the Pope said, uh, the Jewish people did not recognize Jesus Christ, therefore we do not recognize the Jewish people. And we cannot recognize a Jewish state in the Holy Land. You know, I think there's a kind of a third voice here that's missing in this whole debate, which is we're talking about Jews and, and Muslims, and right now, you know, there's a sort of religious, there's political Islam and there's political Judaism and they're battling it out in, in the Middle East. But there's sort of no political Christ, Christianity as such anymore in the world. Maybe that's a good thing, but, you know, there used to be. But the, the, you know, the point I'm making is that there is a third voice here, which is the voice of Christianity, which you never really hear because of the takeover of Christianity by evangelical uh, the evangelical movement in the United States in particular, which is pro Right, we've lost Giroud momentarily now. Absurdum. You're back, you're back. Um, we lost you for a second the, the, there. The traditional Christian view... Giroud, we lost you for about 15 seconds. You you, you said that um, Christianity had gone towards evangelical... Um, kind of had gone to the evangelical in America. And then we kind of lost you. I think we might have lost you again. Are you there? All right, he's not there. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kick the call out and get him back because this is very interesting. Gerardo Colmon, live on the Richie Allen Show, Wednesday's edition. He's at Broadford Soviet on Twitter, at Broadford Soviet. If we can't do it um, online, I'll give him a, a call the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned way. Yeah, right, we're going the old-fashioned way then, the old dog and bone, and hopefully we'll get Gerardo back on. Wednesday's programme. He said there might be a connectivity issue. Let's hope there isn't. Are you there? He's there. Yes, but that, did, the juice, did the juice just come off? That's what it is. It must be. It's those damn Zionists <laughs> who cut us off mid-flow in our prime. Do you know what you were saying? You were saying, you were starting a very interesting thread. You said that Christianity is absent 
And then you said, because it's gone the evangelical way, like the United States, and then you dropped out. Do you want to pick up that again? Yeah, I mean, it's just that, you know, the, the traditional Catholic view of the Middle East is that um, the Jews have no right to form uh, a state, that the, the Middle East is essentially the whole land from a Catholic point of view, and therefore um, the Jews don't recognize Christ. Therefore, a Catholic Church can't recognize the Jews. Now, the Catholic Church was taken over by Zionism, really, since Vatican II. And so we see a Zionized Catholic Church, if you like, and of course the evangelical movement in the United States. And they constitute the, you know, the the view, the only view really you hear in Christendom or what's left of it. Uh, and in particular, the American, you know, right-wing evangelicals who are always going ho about, about Israel and so on. And so I think that's uh, what's lacking in this whole debate. And the reason I bring that up is because this is a religious problem here. You know, it's, this is, I mean, geopolitical, yes, of course, there's always geopolitics involved. It is geographically the center of the world. We can come to that in a moment, just the sort of basic geopolitical aspect of this. But, you know, this is a religious problem. Um, and religious more than anything else. It's not an ethnic problem. It's not, Palestinians aren't being, it's not about, you know, skin tone and color as such. Um, you know, it's it's really, an, it's a it's a religious problem. Uh, Israel is an ethno-religious state, but but with, you know, which is another another thing. But ultimately, it's a religious. We're talking about eschatology here. You know, we're talking about a, a, a nation that, even though it was formed by, you know, Swedish secularists, is now uh, invoking more and more religious terminology in terms of what it's doing. I mean, if you listen to Netanyahu, um, he, you know, he's talking about, you know, he's quoting the Bible, he's quoting the the Old Testament, he's talking about the destruction of Amalek, the, you know, the the, uh, the enemies of the Israelites. He's quoting from, you know, from Joshua and from the book of Samuel. Uh, it's becoming very theological, this whole thing. And Israel, which until now had sort of claimed to be a secular state and so on, is is becoming more and more um, religious in its terminology. And that's, that's unsurprising. We've seen, you know, um, the religious tension uh, developing in the last few years. Christians have been targeted a lot and nobody talks about that but a lot of Christians being spat on um, churches attacked and so on and of course you know the Hamas attack is the Al-Aqsa operation so it's the, the focus on the third temple the focus on the on the temple you know the temple mount uh, this is you know religion is at the core really of, of this so there's there's an eschatological element to this that um, I think a lot of people are missing if we just think about it as um, a right-wing... Are you still there? Can you still hear me? Loud and clear. I'm gripped. I ge- yeah, genuinely, I'm hanging on. Very good this um, year. You know, if we think about just a right-wing, so-called fascist, I hate the term, so it's overused, but let's say a fascist state under Netanyahu that is looking for more territory, that is true, of course. We come to that. Why Gaza? You know, we should talk about some of the aspects there of... Um, you know, the, the new economic uh, projects that Israel has and why gas is important. But there's a lot more to that. You know, they do see themselves as being in this sort of an Old Testament uh, reconquest of Canaan. You know, this is they're going back to the book of Joshua, where, um, you know, where, where, where God tells Joshua to go in and conquest, uh, conquer Canaan and kill every man, woman and child. And, you know, it should be said here as well that, you know, these passages from the Old Testament are always used by the enemies of Christianity 
to suggest that either the God of the Old Testament is a genocidal maniac and it's actually the devil and there's two there's two gods, there's the good God and the bad God, which was a lot of, you know, was the position of the Marcionites um, in the first century. Um, and then, or, or to say that, you look, you know, it couldn't possibly be Christian because, look, it, you know, this is what religion leads to, is genocide and, and hatred and so on. But all of the church fathers, if you read origin of the church fathers in the first, second century, they all understood that you know the, there were different ways of reading the Bible. There was the literal reading, there was the allegorical reading, and this is the development of what we call subtlety, which is which is wholly lacking in in our culture. There's no subtlety in in our culture anymore. You know, if you're against some, if you criticize the Jews, you're anti-Semitic. If you criticize LGBT, you're you're homophobic. No homophobic, context. Whatever. We have labels to yeah. shut people up. No, no subtlety of debate. Like we can't even have a conversation because I have to preface everything with you know. Yeah. To tell you, oh, I'm not this, and like, don't shut me down. But this is my view. You know, there's no open conversation, and there's no subtlety, and we we can't be controversial about anything. But you know, the church fathers, when they read the Old Testament, they understood perfectly that there were all sorts of different levels of meaning. So the conquest of Canaan is a beautiful uh, episode in the Bible, where Joshua, Joshua's name in Greek is Jesus, and you know, if you read Origin, uh, if you read Origin, the uh, great uh, medieval theologian. Alexandria, if you read his uh, study of this, he says, you know, the first time you actually count, encounter Jesus in the Bible uh, is in Joshua, in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament, because in Greek, the name is Jesus. So the first time you encounter Jesus, he's actually a soldier, the leader of an army, who's been told by God to go and kill every man, woman, and child. Now, you might find that very shocking, but if you're reading that on an allegorical and symbolical level, which you're supposed to, because Jesus actually appears in it, he appears to himself. There's actually what's called a Christophany in that book, where Jesus appears to himself. It's amazing. I mean, this is a mystical book. And if you understand the allegorical meaning, it's the, it's the destruction, it's the killing of sin. God it tells the Israelites to destroy all of sin. So there's, this, this, is much more, this, is, you know, this is much more profound than an actual literal conquest of the land killing uh, men, women, and children. And Gerard, let, so, me, let know, me jump whole, in, let me jump whole, in. The whole, I'm, the point There's a lot I'm in this. Here is yeah. that the greatness, if, if Western civilization has any claim to greatness, it's because of 2,000 years of this kind of conversation, this kind of scholarship, this kind of study, right? This is where, this is what, this is the only claim to greatness of the West, by the way. You know, no other civilization had that. And this is where, you know, you're talking about hermeneutics, you're talking about interpretation, exegesis, uh, symbolism, metaphor, figurative sense. You know, this is lost. The Jews think this is about them. They think this is about you need to go in and actually literally kill. I mean, we have this thing called poetry. You know, we <laughs> you name, use metaphors and symbols and images and things. You're not, you don't literally mean. And all of the church fathers, you know, the Catholic, this is how the Catholic church uh, understood this. this was never a problem. There was never a question, really, of uh, of God being genocidal. And even if God had said to Jesus, Joshua, go in and kill everybody in Canaan, um, you know, it, this is the Old Testament. Uh, we 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 cannot possibly understand why God would say that, because we don't have a we don't have a higher moral authority problem liberals have is that they think they have a higher moral authority than everyone else, but they don't understand where they, where where did they get that moral authority from? You know, the Romans were a civilization or an advanced civilization, 
but they had, you know, they were absolute barbarians when it came to morality. You know, a father could just kill his daughter. It was perfectly normal. Yeah, yeah. You know, where do we get this conscience from? We, we, you know, we need to ask that question. If we're judging God, where do we get that from? That we can actually say that this is a... But, no, the point I'm making here is that um, this is all lost. You know, what you're seeing now is, you know, uh, Netanyahu quoting from the book of Joshua or whatever, and it's all genocidal because he, you know, he he wants people to think that you know the Israelites are the Israelites of the ancient, the old, the Old Testament, and that they have the right, you know, God gave them the right to go in and, and murder everybody, you know, and and you know none of that is being sort of clarified by the so-called Christian element here. Nobody, you're not going to hear any um, evangelists in you know in the United States pulling him up on that. No, you have Christian Zionists in America. misread the whole Bible. Yeah, let me jump in now, because you've said a lot there, right, and and, and as scholarly as this is, and it really is, you've got to give me a moment to jump in, because there are a couple of points I want to make. I'm fascinated by this point, that for Netanyahu, this is actually a sincere thing, that this is what he believes, based on his interpretation of, um, of Scripture, and that it's justified based on that. But I have to point this out, um, there, there's never been a majority government, at least in my lifetime in Israel. Now, before you correct me, because I might be wrong, there isn't. it doesn't appear that the Israelis can be categorised as thinking with one mind or speaking with one voice. And maybe this is the reason why Netanyahu's Knesset has gone after the Supreme Court in the last couple of years to try and, you know, make it more difficult for the Supreme Court to intervene when the government is breaking the law. I know lots of Jews. They do not support the genocide in Gaza. They certainly don't see the biblical justification for it. So it seems to be a big mixed, um, a big mixing, a big old melting pot in Israel and outside it, where I don't I see agree. that sort I of support. Agree. Yeah. So what's I going mean, on? I mean, I, I mean we, we need to come back here. I mean, just sort of to finish with the whole religious symbolism here yeah. and go on to more practical matters, which is like, I mean... You, without going into this whole talking about this too much, um, because we've, we've been speaking about it for the last three years, but you know the whole COVID dictatorship, Israel obviously had probably the worst, uh, the most draconian uh, system in place, uh, a massive vaccination campaign uh, done again by predominantly Jews. I mean, yeah. Berlin's Jewish. Uh, you, you know, count the people at the top in in, in the global pharmaceutical industry. You'll find plenty of Jews there. Uh, they had no hesitation in 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 jabbing uh, the Israeli population. And one of the things that kind of made me laugh, you know, during this period is like, you know, I would read reports in the anti-Zionist press about how there was a conspiracy by the Zionists to prevent Palestinians from getting vaccinated. You know, like that they were provide they were depriving. Palestinians of vaccines, you know. I'm sure the guy who was writing that really believed that the vaccine was was um, you know was a solution, or was you know was going to save lives and so on. But you know, that's kind of just shows you how the confusion that, that's out there. But if the when vaccines fact, were dangerous, the wouldn't the Israelis have given them? Citizens, effectively. If the, if the vaccines you know. were dangerous, Garoud. Now I happen to believe the vaccines are incredibly dangerous. I happen to believe it's self-evident now. But if they were dangerous, why didn't the um, ultra-Zionists who want to get rid of the Palestinians, why didn't they ensure, to the best of their ability, that the Palestinians were given four jabs? I don't, first of all, I think you're right about the division in Israel. I mean, and that, obviously Netanyahu now has kind of got the support 
he didn't have a year ago. And he has, uh, you know, he's now a warmonger and he's, it's now a kind of wartime situation. So he's, um, you know, he, everything else is sort of in abeyance now regarding really? his, um, the whole corruption and, you know, the whole dossier that he had to deal with. And he, he's, you know, he's sort of, so obviously that suits him. But I would agree with you, there's tremendous division in Israeli society. The Jews are extremely litigious. And there, you know, there is. Uh, it's not. It's not a, a homogenous society. The, the 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 religious element is 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 pretty divided as well. I mean, you have the the Keturai, uh, Jews who are against Zionism. Yes. Denounce these. You know, they're 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 a minority, but they do exist. I mean, I've met them. I've met these yeah. conferences. They're the wrong Jews um, these days. They're the wrong Jews, Gerard. You you know, it's funny. The BBC today did it. Sorry to cut across you again, and I want you to take it. Look at the time as well, by the way, because we've only got till five two before we've got to go, and I don't want to take too much time away from you. But wasn't it amazing today to see the BBC report on a protest? Uh, by pro-Palestinian supporters, or I would call them pro-human rights supporters, at a train station in London, Liverpool Street train station, and they had a Jewish woman, I think, on complaining about it, saying how terrible it is and the Jews are terrified. And while she was saying this, there was a massive sign uh, visible on screen, Jews against genocide. Jews against genocide. There were a few dozen Jewish people there alongside those in Liverpool Street station, and the BBC ran a report with a woman saying Jews are terrified, but the Jews who attended the protest today, they're the wrong Jews. You see, this infuriates me as a broadcaster, that they're the wrong Jews. They don't get, that's a form of anti-Semitism, isn't it? Where Jews who are against all of this, genuinely, completely opposed to it, are marginalised and are ignored completely. That must be anti-Semitism. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I say I just don't use it. Richie, I don't yeah, use you don't see it. Yeah, right yeah. wing, left wing, fascist, anti-Semitism. I agree. It means nothing. It means nothing. Them. Yeah, it means and nothing. And I don't care, you know, and it'll, be, it'll go on my epitaph, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't care. Didn't give a shit. I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, so I, 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 I just don't have time for that stuff. I'm more, I'm, I'm more concerned about anti-gentilism. As being a gentile, you know, I'm more concerned about anti-gentilism. That's Fair my enough. term. But anyway, um, you know, the, the, but um, just to come back to um. You know, the, the religious aspect, I just think it's important to say, never, we never hear it enough, but, you know, the, again, the Christian view, the, Catholic, the Roman Catholic view is that the Israel is the Catholic Church, okay? Israel, the Catholic Church is the new Israel. And so this is why, you know, Israel, the term Israeli, is, is meant to be a spiritual term. Christians are Israelis in that sense, Israelites, the Israelites. Um and so as as Catholics, we are we, we we consider ourselves to be the inheritors of Moses and Jacob and Isaac and all the prophets and, and, and patriarchs. Um, and it's our culture. That's that's the Catholic view. And so these people are just people who rejected Christ. They, but they have nothing really to do with uh, the Hebrewism of the Bible uh, and with, you know, the wonderful and beautiful culture. I mean, I read, I learn Hebrew. I love, I love the language. So I'm very philosemitic in that sense. But that's, that's the real stuff. It's not all of this gobbledygook that the rabbis go on about. Um, the Talmudists, I mean, you, pro- you probably know what the Talmud says about non-Jews. It's, yeah. it, that, if you want racism, it's, right, it's in the Talmud. Um, it's an awful text. That's why it was burnt. It well, it's ancient as well. It is century. ancient. I just said this is a. I mean, again, you know, as a Catholic, I'm not for freedom of speech. People go on about freedom of speech. Catholics are never for freedom of speech. Church always um, said you only have a right to tell the truth. You don't have a right to tell lies. 
you can, I guess you can, like you, you can, as in you can, you can kill if you want, you can try and kill, but don't have a right to kill. And you don't have a right to tell lies either. So, you know, it's something I've kind of been talking about for a while, which is what, what we're seeing happening in the world right now is that liberal culture is becoming Catholic in form. It's essentially becoming Catholic in form. In other words, liberals are now saying that. They're basically saying that there are limits to what you can say and there are limits to what you can think. But they have a different catechism. It's just, it's it's the catechism of lies. Right. It has no basis or foundation in truth. And so you're not allowed to tell the truth. But you can say anything else you want, any rubbish you want. You can do, you know, you can pretty much do anything but other than be virtuous or tell the truth. So, but, but liberals are becoming authoritarian. That's the point I'm making here. Liberalism has now entered an authoritarian phase. And what we're seeing developing in the world is that we have these right-wing Zionists and they're a gung-ho about Israel and they're you know, telling all kinds of stories about babies being baked alive and stuff that has just no basis in any kind of fact. I and mean, there's nothing to back it up, but whatever. We've seen this before in the Gulf War with babies being taken out of incubators and all that, all lies. That's been just diffused massively in the Zionist media. And then we have these Islamo leftists on the street and they're like LGBT and, and so on. And you see, you know, the, the problem here is this. There was a debate in the Irish, uh, in the Dáil there recently, between uh, um, Boyd Barrett and uh, the Taoiseach, right? Now, so Boyd Barrett, you know, he gets out, this is his moment, like he loves this kind of stuff, Boyd Barrett, so he starts moralising about Palestine, and, and he's very good at that. Richard I mean, Boyd Barrett we're talking so about now, Richard, Richard Boyd, Boyd Barrett, Barrett, yeah. So he's going on and he's ranting and raving about Palestine, and he's, you know, he's waxing lyrical about the whole thing. And then, and then he sits down and the Taoiseach, Radker says, um, you know, uh, makes, 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 uh, you know, says, well, you know, Israel is a liberal society and, you know, uh, you know, I'm a gay man, therefore, uh, Israel, you know, um, as you know, uh, a revolutionary socialist like you and a gay man would not be uh, permitted in, uh, in Hamas controlled Palestine. Therefore, you know, your argument is null and void. And the problem there is that both are telling part of the truth. You know, Hamas wouldn't... Wouldn't have any time for a gay lad, yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, so there's no point in being a revolutionary, you know, left-free or uh, kind of say to Hamas that they should have gay pride parades because they would throw you through the window. Um, So (laughs) the Taoiseach is right and Boyd Barrett is right in the sense that he's, you know, moral his nation is justified. Um, But, but, so to see, they're both right and they're both wrong. This is the problem. And we're seeing that Boyd Barrett uh, and the the likes of him will support every Zionist policy in Europe. So I've been writing about this for for years, about how the Israeli foreign embassy have been financing mass immigration into Europe, uh, financing NGOs coming into Europe, uh, pushing that agenda through media, through left-wing media. Uh, George Soros is an example. Soros himself is, is not a Zionist, but he has said that Judaism is a key uh, aspect to the reason why he supports the policies he supports. You know, that he sees this as a form of political Judaism, international political Judaism. Um, so, you know, uh, the likes of Boyd Barrett will never talk about that. Never. And years, they will no. collaborate with that. And then, of course, uh, the Taoiseach uh, Radker, I don't need to say any, anything about him. But, um, you know, that, that, but he, his, his point 
about uh, Israel being, you know, the home of uh, LGBT and stuff is true, you know, so-called religious society. But, you know, Israel is um, is, is a kind of a, a mixture of everything because ultimately, you know, the, 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 there is this is going nowhere. You know, the, 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 the Israeli state will not will not survive this century. And it, it but what will happen, I do think or what they want to happen, actually, I don't even sure if they want to survive because it's almost suicidal from Zion's perspective. You know, if they if they provoke Iran into a world war, if Iran gets involved and the Iranians are saying is basically the clock is ticking. Uh, you know, if they provoke a regional war, they'll bring in Russia, China and so on in world war. Israel will probably be wiped off the map. But that's unlikely no. to happen, Garod, isn't it? Let's be honest. I mean, Iran saber-rattles and has been doing so for years and years and years. And I, I, no matter what Israel has done historically, and what Israel is doing in Gaza now is reprehensible. And by the way, I'm saying this not to be a dickhead, I'm just going to say it anyway. I do not know that babies were not caught up in what happened on October 7th. I don't know that for a fact. I understand the reference you made to the incubators and that bullshit story told uh, back in the days of Kuwait. I get all of that. But I'm, 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 I'm willing to believe that when you pull off an operation like Hamas did, that innocent people get killed. And that's all I'm saying on that. I don't know the babies were not killed. But I understand the point you were making. I also don't know for a fact that babies were killed, I've got to say. But back to Iran... Do you really think it's possible? Because you're not the first pretty learned. I mean, you're a learned guy. You're a bright guy. I'm not kissing your arse. You're a smart guy. You read. You're not the first guy to say to me recently that it is really as close as we've been, maybe, for a long, long time. Maybe Cuban missiles, if that was even real. But that it could get global and it could get nuclear. You actually think it's a possibility? Well, I think if everybody, I mean, pretty much all of the pundits here, senior analysts, uh, in the media are talking about third world war whereas you know that was not really a it wasn't the kind of discourse we were listening to in the last uh, major uh, israeli attacks on gaza you know 2014 2008 yeah um they they, they you know there've been a lot and there've been regional wars the 2006 war in lebanon i think this you know if they attack if they i mean they, they are we're Definitely on the brink of a major regional war, whether that would be, I don't think, again, we have no idea what a world war would be in the sense that we, we you know, what does that mean? Like missiles dropping from yeah. the sky kind of everywhere. I don't think it would be like that. I think we're actually seeing it, a percolation, of, you know, kind of war. In other words, we're seeing these, these increasing terrorist attacks. And again, you know, there's so many of them, we don't have time to analyze them. And are they a false flag? They all look false flag to me. They could be anything. They could be crisis actors. Nobody really knows. But they all have an effect. And the effect of them is to increase the security state yeah. and the new world order agenda. And that's, you know, that's direction where it's going the whole time. But also you see, you know, what I was talking about, these demonstrations, you know, where you have this increasing civil war atmosphere where, you know, you're going to have, um, you have mass immigration very much of a, you know, I would say Muslims are overrepresented in this mass immigration agenda. So, you know, we have we have an Islam problem in, in, in Europe and the Islam problem is being instrumentalized by Israel. That's my point. Um, it's It's been, you know, it's it, and that will be in, in, in used to foment a civil war situation, which is what we're already seeing. And, you know, right now in France, I mean, this is 
probably more tennis than it's ever been. We've had we have some major Muslim personalities, people like um, Benzema, Karim Benzema, the football player. Um, yeah. you know, he's in major conflict with Zamor. Zamor was a presidential candidate. He's a, an Israeli French, uh, and uh, he, you know, Zamor is a fanatical Zionist been all over Israel talking about how, you know, the French must support Israel and so on. Uh, he was a presidential candidate. He didn't get very many votes in the last election, but he, you know, he's a major media pundit and he's now in conflict with Benzema because he's been accusing him of kind of being linked to the um, Islamic, uh, to the uh, Muslim Brotherhood and terrorism and so on and so forth. And Benzema is now taking him to court. The Minister of the Interior has possibly been taken to court by Benzema for the same, uh, the same uh, statements. So you know these guys are big. These guys are huge. They have huge following. You know, Benzema is a big. I'm sure he's a big hero for a lot of French Muslim lads. Yeah, um, no, no doubt. Or yeah. in football and stuff. You know, like the celebrities are very powerful in that way. And you have also Booba as a major rapper here. Has uh, come out and support Palestine. You know, things like celebrity culture can be very, very powerful in terms of. Um, spreading very quickly, you know, the word spreading very quickly among youth and so on. So it it just seems to me that we're looking, I mean, we had the riots in France a few months ago, you know, crazy situation, almost in a state of war for several weeks. It was mental, you know, wasn't it? And you're, you're... These things can erupt again, and yeah. like this could, you know, this could become more and more the norm. And of course, then what, you know, this kind of world war, it would be a sort of a forced generation warfare situation where you know, you don't know who the enemy is or when he'll strike. So basically everybody's locked up and there's curfews and you're not allowed to go out. We saw that with COVID. It seemed that it was a preparation for that, you know, that you would be basically, oh, you know, there's a terror threat and things are closed. And, you know, we've had um, increasing attacks in schools here. So they seem to be after going after schools now. We've had teachers uh, killed in schools and so on, and that yeah. sort of seems to be gathering pace as well. And Gerard, we saw in the state of Maine with that shooting, which is very, very suspicious, because the guy begged the police to take his guns back. The guy um, went to the police months ago and said, I'm not well. All of this stuff, right? So the guy goes on a killing spree. But during that, people were locked into their homes under penalty of arrest if they didn't obey. So what you're saying makes sense to me. And I read in, because you know that we one thing we have in common, we have French missuses. My missus is French and she reads the French press. Didn't the Prime Minister there say a week or so ago that parents would be sent for re-education classes to learn how to parent their children <laughs> if their children yeah, were to be found yeah. going out rioting and stuff like that? I mean, this is dystopian no, yeah, shit, I mean, this, it, isn't it? it, it yeah. I, I mean, the, the, the third, I mean, we're already, look, we're already in a kind of a third world war since COVID. I mean, we, 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 you know, we're, we've escaped. We escaped the vaccine, uh, the forced vaccination, you know, which is kind of, uh, which is a major victory, really, for, for, for us for the last three years. You know, we've come out of a major period of uh, oppression ourselves in Europe and all over the world. So this is a new phase. And the question is kind of, you know, we've spoken about, like I, I opened about, you know, with quotes from Israeli officials about the like just they're just openly admitting that they're going to commit genocide and they're going to exterminate flatten, everybody. Flatten the place, yeah. Um, that's you know it's kind of a new thing as well. I mean they've always been extreme the Israelis and cruel, but this is kind of now they're not hiding it anymore. They're not saying 
they're not saying we're not targeting civilians. They're saying we are. I mean, I heard an Israeli politician say, a woman say, you know, that children are also targeted because, you know, they're guilty too. It's just crazy stuff that nobody would say, but they're saying it. So it's kind of a new stage, a new phase of psychosis here that we're dealing with. And I think that the effect of that extreme rhetorical violence is going to, it's going to, it's going to translate in acts of extremism in Europe on all sides, you know, pro and anti-Zionist. Everywhere you look. Whether, they're, whether, whether the terrorists are, so, you know, or whatever. Look, we know that the intelligence agencies are all over this. You know, we know for, for years and years and years in Syria and other, any country that destabilize, they back Islamists. And Israel has been a major supporter of the Islamic State. But, you know, when you hear Netanyahu, he meets... Another thing I should talk about as well is just the French... Um, kind of the, the game that Macron is playing right now. Let me let me stop you before you do well. because we literally only have three minutes and that's a, a tight three minutes and I wanted to look I told you before you don't have to wait to, to come back we can do a follow up in a week or so with um, w- w- you know if you have time but we are pretty much out of time now and I wanted to ask you before we go and do keep an eye on the watch you're used to broadcasting now so I'm not going to let you away with it um, two and a half minutes will this stop soon because on the human level, and I'm not trying to virtue signal here, this fucking kills me what's happening in Gaza. Are we going to see any stop to this anytime soon? How long is this going to go on for before we finish? No, I don't think so, because I think we're in a new phase now of extremism and where we're, we're living in a society that lacks empathy. You know, we, we saw that ourselves during the, COVID, um, during the COVID dictatorship, where people were very nice. In fact, some of the nicest people became complete monsters. Monsters, yeah. And they would say things like, oh, all those non-vaccinated should be locked up. And, you know, I mean, the stuff you would hear from people you would have thought would be kind of decent and empathetic. Empathy's gone. You know, and this is what we're seeing now. We're seeing a new kind of phase of pagan savagery in the world. Jesus. And that's what I think is, going, you know, where it's almost clockwork orange type stuff. We're heading into a, a period of, of, of chaos and anarchy. And the elites are becoming anarchical, you know, and and I, I think that, you know, it's they're not even pretending. The West doesn't even pretend to be supporting um, freedom and democracy anymore. They're only talking about security now, you know, security is the new uh, buzzword. So and they're admitting that, you know, you've got the Irish government, you know, I heard of an official of the Irish government basically today saying, yeah, you know, we're, we're going to tell you what's right and wrong and we're going to tell you what's true and false the government knows everything and that's that she didn't say it in those words but that's more or less what she said you know um that's the new paradigm we're in now i think and that's a new state of of barbarism that's spreading throughout the world and i think if we're in you know we are in a third world war but maybe it's not going to be at a push of a button but it's just going to be this increasing percolation of violence and crisis you know Add to that digitalization and so on. And I think we'll be heading for more lockdowns, whether it's climate the lockdowns. Climate, yeah. I don't think they're going to go too far. Let's, you know, Netanyahu and all these people, they're all part of the global elite. They're not going to sabotage the climate agenda. They're not going to sabotage all of that. They've got a lot of things they want to put in place for the next couple of years. So they're going to, I don't think they're going to go too far there. They're going to make sure that they get all these measures in place, the digital agenda and so on. But uh, certainly we're, we're a new, you know, uh, I would say a, a very barbaric and uh, savage um, 
phase of, of globalisation. We heard um, Jordan Peterson tell Piers Morgan that Netanyahu should turn into a monster. I mean, that just absolutely crystallises what you said. In 15 seconds, I'll obviously put the info on the podcast notes, but where can people read you today? And thanks for coming back. Well, you can go on. My website is down at the moment. It's being rebuilt. So um, you can go on to, as you said, Broadford Sove at the moment. You can also read articles on Al-Maidin. Um I'm a regular contributor to our press TV as well. Um, on Geopol- We didn't even touch geopolitics. There's a lot of things we didn't discuss, like, for example, we wanted to discuss the port uh, of Gaza, the importance of port yeah, Gaza. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you the, what, look, uh, look, look. Suez Canal and so on. Let's do, let's do uh, the week after next then. You get back to me by email. Tell me which night suits you and we'll do a good hour or 90 minutes on that. And we will talk about the bigger political picture, the wider um, scheme it's of things. Yeah. Of course it is. And you're welcome okay. back. Look, I'll, look, if I don't hear from you, I'll be in touch. Thanks for today, right, mate. Okay. I really appreciate it. Thanks for coming back. Likewise. Thanks, Gerard. Gerardo Colmon, great Irish writer and broadcaster living in Paris. Uh, Broadford Soviet on Twitter. Do check him out there. I'll put links to where you can read Gerard on the podcast notes. Always fascinating. Incredibly well-researched is Gerard. And that's about it for uh, the programme today. The time is coming up for... Uh, it's rapidly approaching five minutes to the top of the air. Thanks for all of your messages on that, by the way. Uh, lots and lots and lots of messages. I was struggling to get a word in edgeways, let alone to read um, out your messages, but um, thank you for them. Back with you tomorrow, Thursday at 5 o'clock UK time. That's uh, Thursday's programme. And, of course, uh, tomorrow morning, just keep in mind the papers. It might not be your thing, but it's a podcast. It's something extra. Monday to Friday... So it goes to Friday, the papers. It's usually online before 10 a.m., uh, sometimes 9.30. So the papers, all right? Uh, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. I'm going to watch that absolutely shite football team that I still love uh, play Newcastle, the Geordies, in a cup game um, just after 8 o'clock. Until tomorrow, again, thanks, Garode. Uh, we'll speak. I'm leaving you with the Furies, funnily enough. I was thinking of the Furies. Davey Arthur. See you tomorrow. Bye. Bye now.